0: Hello everyone, it's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and it's time for episode 178 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. So this week, only one guest host, and that is, of course, Richard. How's it going this week, Richard? Hey
1: Seth, what's going on?
0: Uh, Not much Recovering from Vegas Excited to talk about all the stuff that's going on in Magic So Chris couldn't be here this week He had a work thing come up But he will return next week is the plan So have fun uh, doing your work meetings Chris We'll be missing you Anyway, uh, as far as topics for this week We have a few different things to talk about First off, we had a massive week of Core Set 2019 spoilers last week For some reason we got the entire set in one week So we have a ton of new cards to talk about from M19. So that's how we're going to kick things off, then we're going to briefly talk about Standard and a little bit about the impending b r announcement, which is a week from today. So do some predictions, talk about what could potentially happen, and then of course, we will wrap it up with Fishmail. So, Richard, ready to uh, talk some magic?
1: Alright, M19, the whole set, everything. I feel like spoiler season was early this time, and I feel like it was super condensed. Am I just imagining things?
0: No, it definitely was. I was going to actually ask you about that. Normally for a big set, and we get all big sets now, so every set, I guess, moving forward, normally get two weeks of spoilers, but for some reason, and I'm not a 100% sure why, we had the entire set spoiled in one week last week, so it felt very... I mean, it was exciting. We were getting tons of good cards every day, but it felt very condensed and almost rushed to me to some extent. What was what was your feeling on that? Did it feel weird to you too?
1: Yeah, it, it felt too fast, and we're like, we're done spoilers, and the set doesn't release for like three weeks. So it's, I, I don't know, it feels a little weird, but I'm happy. New cards, new Planeswalkers, lots of Planeswalkers, Elder Dragons uh random hate cards. So it was actually a pretty exciting set, especially given that people usually aren't hyped for core sets. This felt, you know, just like any other set. It didn't feel really different at all.
0: I actually think this is one of the best core sets I've ever made. I'm not going to say the best because Magic Origins was... Really good too. Uh, the last one they made before they stopped doing corsets, but I feel like this is one of the better corsets. And even though corsets are supposed to be new player friendly and uh, some might say watered down, I was very impressed by the new cards. Look super fun. We got some very powerful and expensive reprints like Scape Shift and Crucible of Worlds. So all around, I feel like I feel like Wizard is on a hot streak. Dominaria was great, and I feel like they probably exceeded expectations for the return of core sets as well yeah anyway we have some uh some cards to talk about right
1: yeah let's jump right into it let's jump straight into Tezzeret, artifice master three blue blue five starting loyalty plus one create a one one colorless to your token with flying zero draw a card if you control three or more artifacts draw two cards instead Minus nine, you get an emblem with at the beginning of your end step, search your library for a permanent card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library.
0: So, I think this is by far the best Planeswalker in the set, um, by a very significant margin, and I think it's one of the better cards in the set, period. I think Tezra, super, super good. Like, we talk about Planeswalkers a lot, they've become a very big part of the game in recent years, and... Uh, You're looking for a way of protecting itself and a high amount of loyalty. uh, Tezzeret has both of those, a plus one to make a Thopter. That might not sound like much, but getting a Thopter is a fine blocker. That's going to stop essentially any one creature, even a flying creature like Lyra, which is really nice. So you go up to six loyalty immediately, and then the zero ability is really powerful. We are in an artifact-heavy standard. We have Heart of Kirin's. We have treasure maps. We have all these good artifacts. So it seems pretty easy to randomly have three treasure tokens or vehicles or whatever artifacts on the battlefield. And when you're drawing two cards without losing any loyalty, that that is close to as powerful as Jason Mind Sculptor's Zero Brainstorm ability, I think. I think that is a really scary ability. And then the ultimate... It doesn't win you the game immediately, but over the course of a couple turns, if you're putting your best Planeswalker or Creature or, like, Herald of Anguish or Karn or whatever on the battlefield, it is going to win you the game. So I think this card is legitly good and going to be pretty good in standard. Yeah, the the
1: 0 is actually quite surprising. He starts at, you know, a hefty 5 loyalty, and you can just slam him. 0 to draw a card, 0 to draw 2 cards is pretty good. So even if you're behind on board, like, this isn't a... Minus two, minus three to draw some cards, he stays at pretty high loyalty Uh plus one like you said blocks everything So I think he is actually really strong but But there's the hero the hero to save us all from the Tezret domination because if you just imagine like some curve of like Heart of Kiran into Karn into Tezzeret. You're like, how do I beat that? But there is a goblin <laughs> <laughs> there is a goblin that will machine gun down these one <laughs> one godless lopter tokens a goblin chain roller that will i think keep tezzeret in check if he remains you can make all the one blockers you want but when chain roller comes down you're gonna be kind of just standing there naked also you have steel leaf champion steel leaf champion uh can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. So Steel Leaf just moseys on in over these thopters and, uh, (laughs) you know, just crushes Tezzeret in one shot. So we we do have things to keep Tezzeret in check, but that zero is still very scary. If you have, you know, three artifacts and you get to zero twice, I, I feel like you can't lose the game unless you're, you know, already essentially dead. So Tezzeret does seem scary, but we do have certain answers in the format.
0: I mean, there are definitely answers in the format, so that is a really good point. On the other hand, we also have some good artifact synergies in the format, like Karn is the biggest one, you mentioned Karn, but curving Karn into this, you have not only two really strong card advantage engines, but they work really well together because the Thopter is pumping the constructs that... Karn makes. Karn is making artifacts that give you the three artifacts you need to draw to with Tezzeret, so I feel like that is a pretty legitimate curve, and we still have Heart of Kirin's and Walking Ballistas and Treasure Maps and so many good artifacts, and that's not even including, like, going deeper. Even in M19, we have, oh man, a uh, Pier? Uh, no that that was a battle bond card the three mana blue legend that cares about artifacts who uh Psy Master Thopterus so we have some good artifact synergies coming in course 2019 too so I feel like while Chain Whirler is an issue there's enough good cards for the deck with Karn and Psy and these other artifact things that maybe just like losing your Thopters to Chain Whirler isn't the end of the world
1: yeah but i just want to point out that if you karn with no artifacts you make a make a construct it's a one one and then you Tezzeret plus make a thopter your construct's a two two with the <laughs> one one top chain roller still wrecks this board because after the thopter dies the construct's a one one which also dies uh
0: yeah i guess you do need other artifacts on the battlefield it's it, by itself it does get pretty wrecked by chain roller. yeah
1: but yeah i i still really like Tezzeret. i still think the zero is too strong this should have been a minus i drawing two cards off a of zero is jace territory so if yeah. you can't deal with this tezzeret you're gonna die very very fast and it doesn't matter what the ultimate is it's like jace the mind sculptor if you get to brainstorm twice or something the game is over it doesn't matter what the ultimate is so if you just slam tezzeret and zero twice it's probably over so that minus isn't essentially relevant, but I mean, I guess you can minus immediately off of double se- doubling season. So,
0: <laughs> I I think it's I think it's actually the play pattern I think is very similar to Jace is how I see it playing out, where a lot of the times you're just gonna zero 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 until you completely gain control of the game, and then you can just kind of you have all these cards, so your opponent's not gonna be able to beat you, and then Tezzeret does fulfill the finisher role where you just plus 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 get your big thing. Win the game that way. So I expect that we'll see a lot of zeroing with Tezera in standard. Uh, before we move on, any outside chance of modern? Uh, I guess it seems expensive when we have multiple four mana Tezera's. Like, Tezera Agent Ebolas is a pretty busted <laughs> artifact planeswalker, and that doesn't even really see play in modern. So, any chance in modern, Richard?
1: zero because i mean yeah. if you're talking about busted zeros we literally have jace the mind sculptor in <laughs> modern and if you're going for artifact synergies uh agent of bolus is one of those like crazy broken cards which doesn't quite have enough pieces to make work so i don't think we're gonna see this but i mean if you asked me hey is the fairy gonna outplay jace in modern i probably would have said no but here we are so maybe <laughs> but I think Jace is just strictly better than Tezzeret, and then uh, Agent of Bulls is strictly better than this one for Artifact X.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's what I was thinking as well.
1: Uh, any chance we displace Teferi with Tezzeret? Because Teferi is a 5-drop. Uh, you know, Apparently, drawing a card, untapping two lands, and sealing away stuff is pretty good. Any chance Teferi just dominates and you never see Tezzeret?
0: I don't think so. I think they, while they're both 5-mana Planeswalkers that draw cards, I think they go in very different decks. I think if you're playing, like, a blue-white control deck, I think Teferi is almost certainly going to be better, while Tezzeret really wants that artifact theme deck. I think you really need to be drawing 2 with Tezzeret to make it be that strong. So I think you're looking at Karns, Antiquities War, other artifact synergies. So I think they'll both be very strong, maybe even... Well, I was going to say equally strong, but Tezzeret might be a little bit behind Teferi, but they're going to be close in power level, but in very different decks. Yeah,
1: so maybe something like Channel Fireball's blue-green Karn deck, where they kind of try to go all-in on the artifact theme
0: yeah something like that or we've seen like construct tribal oddly be like fringe at the gps this weekend people were playing these like all in antiquities war decks with like servo schematics and these puzzle knots just to like flood the board with artifacts and decks like that i think is where tezzeret's really gonna shine
1: all right next planeswalker we have liliana untouched by death two black black four starting loyalty plus one Put the top 3 cards of your library into your graveyard, if at least one of them is a zombie. Each opponent loses 2 life and you gain 2 life. Minus 2, target creature gets minus x minus x until end of turn, where x is the number of zombies you control. Minus three. You may cast zombie cards from your graveyard this turn.
0: Not as good as Tezzeret. <laughs> <laughs> and even more, even more restricted in the decks that can be it. So the good news for Liliana is while we might have forgotten a little bit because uh, post rotation in the fall, zombies kind of disappeared. We still have a lot of the zombies that made uh, the pro tour winning deck back when Amakim cat came out, they're still in the format right now for the next three months, so I feel like we have a lot of good zombie pieces to support Liliana for the next three months at least until we hit the next rotation, so that's a good news, I think that Liliana can be decent in a zombie deck, the bad news is, apart from zombies rotating in three months, so it's a short-lived period of zombies having potential she is very bad at protecting herself. Like, I guess the negative two can kill something if you already have a big board, but playing Liliana, uh, like, post-Wrath, or even if you only have a creature or two, she seems pretty bad in those scenarios to me. I think she's bad outside of Zombie Tribal. Like, you can't just
1: jam her into a generic black deck because half of these abilities don't even work. So you really need a strong... Zombie tribal deck, and if that exists, I think this card is kind of the nuts, right? It gives you reach, so that plus one um, Kind of drains your opponent. So a lot of the times when you have black decks You don't have that burn to finish someone off. So you get them really low. They wrath the board and you're kind of stuck. So Liliana is wrath protection, right? So that plus one gives you the reach to finish the game Uh, If they wrath the board you minus three and recast all your zombies again and the minus two is double removal. So in kind of mid-rangey mirrors or aggro mirrors, you put her down, you minus two remove something, and then next turn you can minus two again. So that's that's a two for one. So that would be pretty strong if we had a zombie aggro deck. We don't have a zombie aggro deck, so she kind of, she's kind of useless. You wouldn't put her in a jun deck. Can't really make use of her. I think Death's Majesty is a lot better if you have, like say, a black green midrange deck and you need a generic black planeswalker. Uh, I do want to point out that you can ultimate, quote-unquote ultimate, immediately. That minus three you can use right away. And if you're playing another format with, say, Rooftop Storm, which makes all your zombies cost zero. Uh, this is some kind of combo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I have to say in standard, though, like I think we might be underselling zombies a little bit. I think there's actually a chance that we can have zombie aggro. Like, the holdovers from the past, we still have Dread Wander, which works really well with Liliana, because you can mill it over and then cast it. We also got the new core set zombie, um, which allows you Graveyard Marshal, which allows you to eat, cards from your graveyard, creature cards from your graveyard to make zombies, and probably the biggest selling point of zombies is we already have Lord of the Accursed in the format 3 mana Lord, we just got Death Baron, another 3 mana Lord with Death Touch upside, And we have Liliana's Majesty, which was one of the best cards in Standard for a long time, making the zombies and being a zombie lord for five mana. So I feel like the pieces of a zombie deck exist. Whether or not this deck can compete with the stuff that's happening in Standard, the red decks, uh, the upside is they don't have hardly any one toughness creatures dread wander is like the only one and that's only if you don't have a lord and it comes back from the graveyard so i feel like we might have the pieces for a mono black zombie list we'll see if it actually can compete with fairies and goblin chain whirlers but the pieces are there to make this deck work
1: yep all right we have another planeswalker sarkin fireblood <laughs> <laughs> the snickering begins one red red three starting loyalty Plus one, you may discard a card if you do draw a card. Plus one, add two mana in any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast dragon spells. Minus seven, create four five five red dragon creature tokens with flying. Three mana planeswalker.
0: <laughs> I've heard people call this three mana Tibalt, and I think that's uh, that's pretty close. I I feel like we might be underselling it very very slightly. So. I think Sarkin is very bad. Like, the reverse looting plus one, I guess it's fine, but it's not especially powerful. At least it's not random like Tibalt. The ultimate, it is good if you get to it, or fine at least. Like, it does scoop to rest. Like, it isn't just necessarily 100% game winning, but it should be game winning. The good news is, the one ability that's pretty strong is the ramping ability. Because we have a lot of good dragons in the format, if you can somehow play this on turn 3 with enough defense that you're gonna untap with it, then you're playing Glory Bringer on turn 4, Lathis, the new legendary dragon, lord-type dragon, any of the big elder dragons the six-mana ones at least, like Dargaz. So there's a ton of targets for that. So I think there's some very slight chance that we can have a deck that is kicking Varric's Blade Wings on turn five or something with Sarkin mana. The question is going to be, can you get it to stick on the battlefield long enough to actually start making mana with it?
1: All right, I think, I think Sarkin is bad, but I think he will see you play. Hear me out, hear me out. So you're going to have to play this at against the odds, so we might as well talk about this now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that is true. So
1: the plus the plus one ramp is really strong. Like you said, if you get an early glory bringer out or any of these crazy elder dragons that we're about to talk about, uh uncontested, you're probably going to win the game, right? So you just get the free wins from things like that. If you're playing say a red green monsters deck, which, you know, your top end would naturally be dragons. Uh, You know, you, you typically ramp into dragons, and late game, when you draw these ramp cards, that's when you typically lose, and that's why these decks are balanced. But if you have a sarkin, you can throw away those ramp cards into more dragons, so Sarkin doesn't look so bad, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some potential there. It's just... One of the things they did with a lot of the Planeswalkers from the Corset, similar to Liliana, it's a very niche, narrow deck that it fits in. And Sarkin's the exact same way. Like, can I envision a Dragon deck where Sarkin is potentially good? Yeah, I definitely can. I could see it being very good. And if you construct, like, the nut draw of that deck where you're going Sarkin into six drop Dragon, that's going to be good enough to beat a lot of decks. But... Like Liliana, where it's only good in Zombies, Sarkin's only really going to be worth it if you're playing a dedicated Dragon deck. So not only does Sarkin need to end up being good enough to show up in that deck, but it also needs a Dragon deck to be good enough to compete in Standard. So, uh, I don't know. It needs a lot of things to go right to actually develop into a legitimate Standard
1: card. Yeah, but I do think he is better than Tybalt.
0: I, I think that's true. Also, I expect Commander players will play uh like play Sarkin. Dragons are a fairly popular theme. We got all these new Elder Dragons, we got new dragon lords. If you're playing dragons in Commander, or Brawl, I guess for that matter, but Sarkin is not scary enough that people are necessarily going to uh, feel like the they need to deal with it right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people will disrespect
1: so it- Tivolt. <laughs>
0: Exactly. So it'll probably stick around, and then all of a sudden you play a massive, like, eight-drop dragon early in the game, and your opponent's like, oh, I probably should have dealt with that Sarkin. Yeah,
1: I'm going to say f- flavor fail on a second ability. We should be able to use it to flip Nicol Bolas. It should be... You should be able to use that mana to activate abilities of dragons.
0: Ooh, that's... that is probably true.
1: All right, speaking of Elder Dragons, we got some more Elder Dragons. So we've already talked about... Mahdi, uh, Asmati, Palladiumors, and Nicol so we have our remaining two elder dragons. Arcades? Arcades? I don't even know. <laughs> the strategist. one green, white, blue, so this is our Bant elder dragon. 3-5, flying vigilance. Whenever a creature with defender enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. Each creature you control with Defender assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power and can attack as though it didn't have Defender.
0: This, I think, is my favorite of the Elder Dragons. It's probably the worst of the Elder Dragons as far as actually building a competitive deck in Standard or Modern, but it is the most fun to build around. It's very similar uh, to, like, Doran or Assault Assault Formation, Rolling Stones. The combination of letting your creatures deal damage equal to their toughness and letting your defenders attack is just such a cool card to build a deck around. And I feel like you can build a pretty powerful deck. The problem is the deck is going to be very inconsistent. So uh, you're going to have one of those decks where... If you can play your wall of omens and wall of roots and play arcades and it lives, your deck is going to look insane and you're going to kill people really quickly. On the other hand, if you play your wall of roots and wall of omens and all these janky walls and then you never draw your arcades or your opponent just kills your arcades, then you're left with just a bunch, a bunch of walls on the battlefield that can't attack and you have like the worst deck in standard. So I can't wait to build a deck around this card, but I feel like the consistency issue is probably going to keep it from being anything more than like a really fun against the odds style bag.
1: Yeah, even as its own dragon, it's not that bad. It's a 3-5, but it really acts like a 5-5. It's 4 mana, flying vigilance. So on its own, it's not bad. And depending on what creatures see play in standard, swapping the power and toughness may be relevant. If everyone's playing, I don't know, 4-2s or something, uh, this becomes a little more relevant. But like you said, in standard, if you don't draw this and you're playing the wall deck, then your deck is pretty terrible because you have a bunch of walls and you do nothing and then you die. But uh, I think in older formats, I think this is actually really good. As your commander, this is exceptional. Uh, you know, it's, it's banned walls, so now you get to play, I guess, the blue walls and you get to draw a card whenever you play a wall or I guess something with defender so it's actually really strong as your commander and we've seen all kinds of crazy buyouts of weird obscure walls in blue because this is the new blue card for commander for for walls so I think commander wise this will be a hit and we'll see a lot of people trying this out because Everyone likes attacking with walls. It's it's a very popular thing.
0: Yeah, I, and the other upside of it in Commander is you can just keep recasting it. Like in Standard, if you're playing Consulate Sky Gates and Gleaming Barriers and all these suspicious bookcase, all these really bad walls, and they kill your arcades, then you're very, very sad. But in Commander, at least, you can run it back the next turn and draw some cards along the way and do it again. So
1: Yep. All right, next up we have Chromium the Mutable, four white Blue, black. So this is our Esper Dragon. 7-7. Flash. Can't be countered. Flying. Discard a card until end of turn. Chromium, the mutable, becomes a human with base power toughness 1-1, loses all abilities, and gains hexproof. It can't be blocked this turn.
0: I think this is... Maybe the spikiest of the dragons, as far as the one that's most likely to see standard play. Uh, the combination of being massive, having flying, not being countered, having flash—like all those abilities—definitely suggest it being a good control finisher in standard. And remember, we we already have good control stuff. Like Teferi is not going anywhere. The control is already very good, and will probably be even better after rotation. So control is going to be a deck. We're losing Torrential Gear Hulk, I, the primary competition. I guess is Nezahal, which is also a good control finisher. I think Chromium, it might just be better than Nezahal though, thanks to flying. It actually lets you close out the game quickly. With Nezahal, it does get kind of chump blocked for infinity, even though the card draw is nice. So I could definitely imagine this being the top end finisher for control decks in standard, especially post rotation.
1: Yeah, I imagine we'll see Chromium in play as the mirror breaker in control decks, because control decks don't even need a finisher nowadays, you just take Teferi and loop him and close out the game if you really felt like it. But when you're playing another control deck, that's not sufficient, and Chromium comes in flash, so you don't have to waste mana on your turn, can't be countered, and if you have enough cards in hand, you can discard all your dead cards to protect Chromium, uh, and you know, get through, kill the opposing Teferis, and close out the game. So I suspect that this will be the control mirror breaker, and maybe it pushes people into Esper because of that, but I don't think you want Chromium as a general purpose finisher, because it's so slow against uh, aggro decks and things like that, whereas usually your Teferi and cards or whatever are enough to lock up the board, or I'd rather play a Lyra or something that actually comes down early, stops the aggro, and finishes out the game quickly as
0: well. Yeah, I think there's also... I think you're exactly right. Like, it's four controlled decks beating other controlled decks primarily. Uh The other nice upside of Chromium is it lets you close out the game quickly. And that's one of the... The downsides of playing the, I'm going to loop my Teferi back into my deck is if you're playing on Moto and your opponent doesn't scoop, <laughs> or even if you're playing at a GP, their timing out is a very legitimate problem. If your plan is to literally play through both players entire decks every single game. So having this card that can come down and just win the game in three attacks kind of solves one of the weird fringe problems of the Teferi loop
1: plan. So the real way of winning Seth is you win game one and then draw. <laughs> that, <laughs> the, that's the true control way of winning.
0: <laughs> the, the classic 1-0 match win. Yep.
1: <laughs> all right, next up we have Cleansing Nova, 3 white-white sorcery. Choose one. Destroy all creatures or destroy all
0: artifacts and enchantments. <sighs> this card. So this is a wrath that makes me a little bit sad I think Fumigate made us forget how bad 5-mana wraiths are, <laughs> because the life gain was such a good way to stabilize. And I feel like choosing to destroy artifacts and enchantments for standard isn't enough of an upside to make this card anywhere near as good as Fumigate. I guess maybe that's a good thing, because control is already so good. Maybe losing Fumigate will power it down a little bit and be a good thing. So, I do really like it for Commander. It's kind of like a budget or extra version of a stir command, almost, where being able to choose to blow up artifacts and enchantments extremely important and relevant in Commander. But as far as standard, I think it's kind of just like bad Fumigate
1: really I actually kind of like this for standard because you know five mana wrath even without the life gain or fumigate I think is playable I mean you don't really have a choice it's either this or settle the wreckage and I think five mana wrath is perfectly acceptable but what this does is become live against all of the problematic permanents Are vehicles running you down well here you go destroy all artifacts uh, in the mirror, you know, God, Pharaoh's Gift, things like that. In the mirror, this actually has targets. You can, I don't know, desperate kill a search for us that comes late in <laughs> the game. So it, it's a wrath, but it's more versatile. There's more things to kill. The only downside is right now, white plays a lot of enchantment-based removal. Seal away, cast out, things like that. So if you're looking to, to kill an artifact, but you have a couple sealaways on the battlefield, this this is not too good. But I think it's just five mana wrath with upside, and we've seen it be played in Fumigate. And I think destroying artifacts
0: and enchantments is kind of close to gaining life. I mean, I think it'll definitely be played. Like uh, the five mana wrath of the format, it's never exciting, but it's always played because there's not any better options. I do agree with you right now. Uh, we do have, man, that's a tough one. I have a hard time imagining me putting this in my deck over Fumigate, but you're very right that before rotation in three months, Godfaro's Gift is one of the few decks that's outside of control and red aggro that's actually competing right now, and blowing up Godfaro's Gift is relevant, Vehicles is relevant. Whether or not it remains that way after rotation, when Fumigate rotates, that we'll have to wait and see, but that is a legitimate upside uh, for it, and I think, uh, what about Command? Richard, is this just like a staple wrath in commander i, I imagine this is yes. very close to the top of the wrath list it's
1: like a steer command but a little worse and that's like an all-star auto include the ability to destroy artifacts and enchantments is very big so i this is a snap included all of my white decks what do you think about okay here we go here we go your opponent <laughs> curves card into Tesseret. you have a lyra and then you use destroy all artifacts, kill all the constructs, kill all the Thopters, and smash their their planeswalkers with your Lyra.
0: Ooh, that's that is a good point, because I was, as I was thinking about the artifacts in Standard, especially after vehicles rotate, I was thinking, well, everything's just going to die to the creature mode anyway, but that is a legitimate upside in a artifact-based matchup that you can kind of use it as a one-sided wrath, almost, if you can wipe out all of your opponent's stuff. So, uh, yeah, that is an upside. What do you think for right now, Richard? You're sitting down the week after Corset 2019 releases. You can play cleanse. Nova, you can play Fumigate. Is this actually are you high enough on this that you would actually consider running it in place of Fumigate or playing a split of this in Fumigate?
1: I haven't played enough control, but I would imagine so. Like I I don't know, like when control stabilizes, it is gaining that like three or four life off of Fumigate more important than the flexibility of destroying artifacts uh such as vehicles and like God Pharaoh's gifts. And I imagine it's close enough that you would test it, but maybe if you 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 know maybe you just play enough control, you know that, oh yeah, that free life is always key, so I'll take Fumigate every time. So I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that Fumigate rotates. <laughs> so sooner or later, we're all gonna come to the Cleansing Nova camp anyway, unless you play Settle the Wreckage.
0: It's a little weird to me that we're still stuck on 5-mana Wraths. We're not going uh, we... back to 4-mana Wraths. But we, we said that about Lanowar Elves, and we got Llanowar and Elves. And then we got and Chain we said Ruler about to compensate for that. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So
1: if we go back to 4-mana Wraths, Watsy will print, say, a 3-mana 5-5 five five green creature that is indestructible. <laughs> just straight up. <laughs>
0: that, that's, that's called uh, Rona's Indomitable, and it's been killing us for the last year and a half. <laughs>
1: Alright, next card on the list, we have Mistcaller. Uh, A single blue mana, so it's a one drop, a 1-1 merfolk wizard, sacrifice mistcaller, until end of turn if a non-token creature would enter the battlefield and it wasn't cast, exile it
0: a uh, good hate card for Modern, potentially. I'm having a hard time figuring out where exactly it fits outside of Merfolk, but the list of things this hates on in Modern is pretty long, and it's a lot of powerful things. Like, it uh, stops Collected Company, which is very relevant. It stops a lot of broken stuff, like Turn to Gorio's Vengeance, Kill You with Grizzlebrand, or whatever. Uh, through the Breach, it stops. So there's a lot of things that it actually hits in Modern. As far as standard. Standard, it's nice protection in case a reanimator deck becomes a thing. I think that would be the primary thing you're stopping in standard. And it is, I mean, we see random merfolk that see play in both modern and standard just because of the creature type. So, very confident merfolk decks will want it because it's kind of a free roll thanks to the creature type. Maybe in standard, wizards as well, although it's not as aggressive as you'd like for a wizards deck in standard. Uh, but I think it's more of a modern card for me than a standard card.
1: Yeah, it, it stops way more things than you mentioned, Seth. It stops living, uh, living end. It stops Ether vile It stops like Cord of Calling. Those kind of things. Uh, it even stops things like, say, vermcoil Coil engine tokens from entering the battlefield.
0: Well, it only stops non-tokens, oh, so oh, it doesn't stop mind, that actually. Mind. But it does stop like uh, Flicker Wisp and Restoration Angel, yep. anything that's blinking your own creatures. So yeah, there is way more than I even I even mentioned. So there's a lot of targets, but. Would you play this outside of Murfolk, Richard? Like, is this a card you're gonna put in your Company deck, or I'm trying to think what other decks play Blue One Drops? Like, where else does it actually fit? Um,
1: so Murfolk for sure. I think Murfolk needs One Drops. You need One Drops to perfectly, uh, to correctly curve out and kill your opponent. So you don't want to play bad One Drops, and this is free win enough that I think you actually just include it outside of Murfolk. Maybe, maybe like Company decks. You know in response to whatever unfair thing you're doing your company into missed caller and then missed caller and basically win the game right there wizards i don't know (laughs) if you like this is actually a wizard so if you have wizard synergies maybe but we're we're going pretty far down the tier list at this point
0: what do you think of this as just a straight up sideboard card like does it hit enough stuff that let's say you're playing blue white control in modern is this a card that's in your con in the conversation for a sideboard slot to sideboard in against those decks that we mentioned living end uh collected company decks Uh, reanimator decks, through the breach decks, is it, does it hit enough to put it in that conversation for your very finite number of sideboard slots?
1: I don't know, I don't know. It's good because you get it down early, so the problem is you can't just hold up mana all the time for everything, but this you can slam on the battlefield and chances are they're not bringing in removal against your control deck, so I think in that sense it's really good. Now, is it worth sideboard slots? That's tough because sideboard slots are very precious and modern. But I, I, I don't think you just generically put this in other de- I think you would just run more negates or something, like something more generic that would allow you to deal with this. But I think for creature-based decks, collected company decks, maybe, definitely merfolk
0: decks. Yeah, I think similar to remorseful cleric, I think if you have your own collected companies and court of calling, it goes way up in value because then you can just hopefully not draw it and let it sit in your deck as a one of. But then if you're about to die to a through the breach, all of a sudden you have a way of stopping that, which those decks didn't really have before. For uh, in large part, you're kind of hoping to just like out value or out combo your opponent, but you didn't have a way to just directly stop it. So I think it could be very good in those decks. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, Next. up seth we have a moon for you alpine moon one red enchantment as alpine moon enters a battlefield choose a non-basic land card name lands your opponent control with the chosen name lose all types and abilities and they (laughs) gain tap to add one
0: mana of any color (laughs) Uh, this card this card is uh very specifically worded to wreck Tron. Like, the clunky, weird wording is basically a way to remove the the card type of Tron lands, and I think that's definitely what it's targeted at. So, if you are afraid of losing to Tron, this is a really good option. It comes down on turn one, so it's always fast enough to deal with Tron. It shuts down Tron forever uh, until they kill it, which they can kill it with their sideboard cards. So, I think it's very, very good at that one thing. It has a little bit of extra utility against, like, Valica is a really good name. That's the other deck that it really shuts down in Modern. Otherwise, you're, like, kind of naming Creature Lands or stuff. So this seems like a card I should love. My worry with this card is it's competing with both Blood Moon and with Damping Sphere. And while this is more efficient, comes down earlier, sneaks in under counters if you're playing Bluetron or something... It's very, very narrow. Like it hits a very specific thing. So it's very good at that one thing. But I'm wondering if the fact that Damping Sphere also hates on Storm or that Blood Moon just randomly gets you free wins, even though they're a little bit worse at just beating Tron. Ugh, Modern is just a hard format. We were talking about with the sideboard slots. You only have 15 sideboard slots to fight against like 40 decks that see heavy play in the format. Can you afford to play? Alpine Moon when it only hits on like two matchups. When a Blood Moon can jank out just about anyone in the format. A lot of decks in the format or dampening Sphere at least hits land stuff and also hits on Storm. So what do you think, Richard? Is this... I want to be high in this card, but I think it's actually going to be overrated, honestly.
1: I feel it's overrated based on what people are saying, but I think this card has a home and control decks. So here are some key differences. You can play this uh, on turn one, so you can get you know you can get in under Tron. So if Tron is on the play, and you have a Blood Moon, they can Tron before uh, you get your Blood Moon in play. But more importantly, because it's a one drop, what you can do is play it with Counter Magic up to protect it. Because the worst thing is you play uh, Blood Moon, and your opponent's like, okay, cool, Nature's Claim it untap, tap, you, you're dead, or Ugin you, you're dead. Uh, with Alpine Moon, you can play it and hold up Counter Magic to protect it. Uh, it's more versatile in mirror matches or in cases where you you don't want a blood moon but you blood moon anyway. Like for example, if you're playing a Jeskai deck, you have colonnades. You want your colonnades as your finisher. You don't want them to get blood mooned under your own blood moon. So Alpine Moon lets you target what you need, say a Tron land, and keep your finishers online. You can target say Search Force Canta, whatever the flip land is called, for your opponent while keeping your land. Uh, workable or you can, you know, take their field of ruins out but keep your field of ruins online. So there are you know uses of this, but this isn't a free win card like Blood Moon. They can still generate mana of any color. So whatever hate card they have, they can probably still cast it as opposed to Blood Moon. If you kind of tap out, get blood mooned and you untap with an abrupt decay in hand, you can't cast it anymore. With this, you can probably still do it. So this is not as free win as Blood Moon, but there are uses. Now, I don't know if the uses are good enough to warrant side bo- sideboard slots, though. Because you do have Fulminator Mages, you, ha- you do have Damping Sphere, you do have Blood Moons, and this just competes with that. You also just have Pithing Needle. So you can Pithing Needle activated abilities. So not the Tron abilities, but, you know, Escanta and things like that, you have Pithing Needle to take care of. So I'm gonna say some use not as useless as some people say but not as great as other people are saying as well
0: also two super quick things before we move on from Alpine Moon one is if you're playing it to hate on Tron please make sure you have a clock one thing I've learned from Blood Moon is just putting your opponent off Tron is not going to beat Tron. You also have to plan on killing your opponent quickly, because they will just hard cast their stuff and beat you, or they'll draw Nature's Claim and turn Tron back on. So, that's one big thing. Also, kind of like Blood Sun, there's probably an outside chance that this could see play in Tron, because you can name, like, Ghost Quarter, for example, and shut off your opponent from blowing up your Tron land. So, just another thing to mention, if Red-Green Tron comes back, maybe there's some weird chance that tron decks could use this to protect their tron
1: lands all right so when is eight moon coming seth
0: <laughs> we've already done 12 moon so we're up to 16 we're on, we're on 16 we're,
1: moons we're,
0: we're getting we're getting to the point where like half the deck is blood moons and the other half of the deck is mana to cast Blood. what, moons. <laughs> what happens
1: if this is on the battlefield at the same time as blood moon oh my does, goodness <laughs> does the land tap for anything i guess the, Trons- the land is a mountain so this thing does it affect it, or I don't know.
0: Probably something to do with layers that I don't understand. I don't. That's that's over the my. The is It's
1: now a one-one <laughs> infect creature, Seth. <laughs> 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 you still die no, to infect somehow no. through all of this. <laughs> uh, all right, that's all the cards you want to talk about, Seth. What What are your thoughts on M nineteen?
0: Well, unlike some people, I was hyped about the return of corsets. When I, when they announce the return of core sets, cause I, I think they're very important to the game. And I feel like wizards did a really good job of making sure that the core set did what the core set needed to do, which is provide these answer cards, these narrow answer cards that are kind of hard to slip into other sets because they're not necessarily on flavor. So wizards did take advantage of that. I love that we saw a lot of support for tribes that are in standard and probably going to be rotating in three months, but a boost of power for random stuff like cats, zombies, things like that. So, very happy about that. They nailed it with Commander stuff, with all the Elder Dragons. So, overall, I am... And that's not even to mention the reprints. I almost forgot the reprints. Crucible World, Scape Shift. These are the cards that people have been saying, we want these expensive modern reprints, but we want them in standard sets to really drive the price down. So, all around, very happy. Uh I, They met and exceeded my expectations, which were already high going into it with Corset 2019.
1: I think they, they've kind of hit the formula of Dominaria and they've kind of rode it through, and it's all here. Battle Bond was also great, and M19 looks great. I love how they brought kind of the things people like about magic uh, into the core set to be quote unquote evergreen. You have all the tribal supports. You know, we have tons of planeswalkers, we have Elder Dragons, we have goblin support, we have zombie support, we have knight support, we have cat support. So you can play all your janky tribes here. And then they have just random hate cards to keep standards safe. We, somewhat oddly specific hate cards, which uh surprising. And there are some powerful cards, there are a lot of cards we didn't even talk about. Uh, Liliana's Contract is one of my favorite cards, we didn't have time to talk about that. But there are tons and tons of cards. Uh, that look good for standard and for casual play. Uh, Lena, Selfless Champion, also looks very good. So there are tons of cards here that I think new players will get excited for, old players will like, and uh, Commander, I think. I think the shift, a lot of these cards are very good for Commander, and I think WotC has done some shifts somewhere, where they're starting to specifically design cards for Commander in normal products, and I really like that as well.
0: Well, that is our M nineteen discussion for today. So I'm super excited for it. We still got a little bit of time. I think pre release is not this weekend, but the following weekend. Is that is that correct, or am I missing this? Is pre release? I the know the spoiler they like,
1: season has messed with everything. So the year of, so July thirteenth is the real release. So it'd be the week before that.
0: So the seventh. Yeah. So, so be, not this yeah, weekend, but the next, next weekend. weekend. Okay. That sounds right. So get ready for that. It should be a fun one. Definitely excited for it. So we have a couple other quick things to hit on just very briefly before we get to fish mail. So uh, number one, standard this weekend, Richard, uh, did you keep up on the tournament slash tournament results? We had two GPs, I believe one in Japan uh, or China and one over here in the US uh, thoughts on standard.
1: Uh, the gist of it is a lot of chain rollers, but not as many as people feared. Maybe anywhere from like a third to uh, you know, a third in the top eight. Uh, a lot of chain roller in day two, though. Uh, the TLDR is don't play creatures that die to chain roller. So all the other <laughs> decks are control decks, Godfearal gift decks, uh, kind of mid rangey, you know, like the scare of God type decks. So standard looks like it's in a decent spot or, you know, it's kind of being bent by Chain Roller, but it's not, you know, every deck is a Chain Roller deck, we do have kind of a diverse looking top eight at least.
0: Yeah, so I I think you're pretty much right. Uh, you, chain Whirler is beatable. We saw that this weekend. It is a massive part of the metagame, probably the dominant part of the metagame, but the Teferi control decks can keep up with it. God Pharaoh's Gift deck, Scarab God, mid-range slash control decks, those decks all put up good performances. Uh, chain Whirler is definitely still having a huge impact, though, even though it didn't just dominate the top 8s or whatever, because there's a lot of stuff that's not playable. Like Unless you're playing a Chain whirler deck you just can't play one toughness creatures we don't see any tokens we don't see any sapperlings or vampires or merfolk or all these tribes and decks that just really get wrecked by chain whirler so i don't know i guess this leads us into our next question our other topic bnr announcement a week from today so when we go live for next week's podcast we'll be able to talk about the announcement the big question maybe the only question uh, at least as far as sandra is concerned do you think they take take action on chain whirler richard
1: i hope they don't i i remember back what was what was the first thing that was banned and we we're like oh this is a slippery slope now every time something you know, looks promising, everyone will call for bands, and we've been in band culture for the last year or two, so I hope they stop it here. They're like, okay, maybe Chain Roller is slightly oppressive, or maybe it's pretty good, but you know what? Stick it out <laughs> until rotation, which is a very long time for now because Chain Roller was just released. But I do hope they take the hands-off approach. Because I, I-, I kind of dislike this narrative we have now where now, you know, week one, four of these decks have this card oh my god we should ban it and we've started that narrative whereas before we had the argument well the last time anything was banned was jace the mind sculptor and is this jace the mind sculptor right i kind of like that approach better but having said that i can see the the total you know uh birthing pond argument where this this limits any x1 for the next two years and we don't want to deal with this so we're taking this out but i really do hope they go light-handed and we don't see any bannings uh, unless they truly are, like, emergency bannings.
0: Man, I'm right in the middle. Uh I think the format would survive. We're, we saw that at the tournament this weekend with Chain Whirler not being banned. I feel like there is a rotation coming up in three months. I am not super confident that that will change things because Chain Whirler is still going to be very strong. If anything, we got Goblins to support a mono-red archetype where Chain Whirler would be very good. So I... I'm not convinced that rotation will fix the problem. Uh, the bigger issue for me is I just, I like playing sweet things, and it's really sad to see uh, some of the big themes of Dominaria, like sapperlings, uh, just be unplayable, or like half the tribes from Ixalan block just not be playable because you get two or three for one by Chainwhirler and just lose the game. So I really dislike the narrowing effect that Chainwhirler has on the format standard is still playable, uh, Teferi is definitely competing with Chain Whirler, so, I don't really know. I still feel like the worst outcome is Wizards doesn't take action we go through rotation and then at the BNR after rotation, when everyone's got rid of their rotating cards, bought their post rotation decks that they're planning on playing for the next year up to until the fall 2019. And then Wizards has to ban it. I think that's the the nightmare scenario here. So I feel like either Wizards should take action now and just be like, all right, this was a mistake. We, we messed up or plan on riding it out. Probably, I mean, for the next year and 15, or 15 months or whatever it is, until the following rotation.
1: Yeah. Uh, My sweet Rat Colony deck is a very playable. (laughs) For a selfish reason, I want Chain Roller to be banned, because I I wonder how they handle it on Arena. I wonder if they will give you four rare wild cards if you own four Chain Rollers when they ban it. Ooh.
0: They... I think they have no, to. But if they uh, don't, know like Watsy, such They an probably
1: do not even have a system in place to do this. But, you know, Hearthstone <laughs> typically gives you a period of time where you get full dust value or, like, four times the dust value or whatever, which means you can basically swap that card for an equivalent card. I wonder if they do that for Arena. And if they don't, then shame on you, Watsy, because <laughs> after I, you know, grind for eight million weeks, build my four Chain rollers, you know, build Mono Red, and they're like, okay, sorry, Chain rollers mistake, ban it. You'd be super salty if you are an Arena player. So I I wonder if they actually built that into the system to be able to refund your cards.
0: Uh, I hope so. I hope they refund them and let you keep them in case uh, we have Arena Modern eventually or whatever. So they should just let you keep the cards in your collection and refund you. If they don't do that, I, I expect there to be quite the... Quite the uproar, so I guess we'll see. It would be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's move on to Fishmail, while we still have a couple of minutes left in this podcast. So Richard,
1: take it away. All right, if you have any questions, send them to the hashtag MDGFishmail on Twitter, and we'll get to your questions on air. From Dirty Beach, I'm putting together a Kaladesh and Amonkhet buy list for Commander in prep for rotation. Are the Fastlands worth getting for Commander play? Do you have any pet cards or suggestions? aside from Panamonicon, to check out or watch the price.
0: Okay, so cards to buy, essentially, from those sets for casual play. Uh, I would keep my eyes on the gods. Also, sammet Voice of Descent. Uh, those are cards we've seen with gods in the past that tend to eventually creep up in price because of casual play. Uh, so keep an eye on those, especially like Locust God, Scorpion God, the multicolor ones are very good in Commander. Uh, Fastlands, I don't, jeez, I guess you buy them. If I don't know if it's so much for Commander as for Modern, but they are a card that I would definitely want in my collection, and they're fine in Commander. I don't think they're a, an exciting land cycle for Commander, but I mean, if you're playing a two-color deck, you want a lot of duels, and they're probably on the list of duels that you might as well have in your deck.
1: Alright. Johnny Esports, Scapeshift. Shift, what do you think the price will be?
0: Um... Maybe $15, $20. And when
1: would you get such a price for Scapeshift?
0: Shift? Uh, I would wait until, well, at least a couple of months. Maybe heading towards rotation, end of August, uh, beginning of September, when when everyone's kind of focused on standard rotation, sneak in and get your copies then. But give it some time for supply to hit the market.
1: Alright, J.K. Zanati, would a white version of Dark Confident be playable? One white, one two, human cleric. At the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. Target opponent gains life equal to its CMC.
0: Oh man, that would be significantly more broken than Dark Confidant. That would be playable and a half. That would be so good. Because white doesn't get card advantage. Like, black has other options for card advantage. White doesn't have that style of card advantage. So uh, I think that card would probably be too good, honestly. What if
1: it was what if it was black what what if what if what if the the question is life gain versus life loss
0: i think that i think that you would still take life gain i think the new version would be better
1: yeah i think life gain like yeah if you're an aggro deck this this kind of doesn't work as well but typically when you win your board is so overwhelming anyway like the the couple of life doesn't matter like, think swords to, pl- swords to Plowshares. Like, yeah, sometimes the life gain is relevant, but usually
0: it's not. Also, like, you lose the deck-building restriction. Like, you can't play an Emeracle in your Dark Confidant deck because you just die. Uh, you can play an Emeracle in the new version deck because, sure, your opponent gains a bunch of life, but you're... I mean, so you lose the deck-building restriction that comes with Dark Confidant and having to only play cheap cards.
1: Yeah, but I, I think this is way better than Dark Confidant. Like, like, there's so many times you die. Like, you have a stable board, but you just die because Bomb kills you by, you know, losing life. Whereas if your opponent was gaining life, your dominant board would overtake that quite quickly. So I think I would play this in a heartbeat. Uh Freak and RC, what do you think would happen if Watsy went through the Modern Ban list and unbanned cards and changed them to Restricted? Do you think this would change the format, and would you like them to attempt it?
0: we've had questions like this before. And I think for me, the big sticking point is the complexity that it adds. And I think that tracking banned cards slash restricted cards, it just adds a layer of complexity. I guess it's it works in vintage. So maybe it would be fine. Uh, it also does adds a lot of variance to the format. We see in Vintage where they do do this, people just trying to tutor up their broken piece, so I think it would still be risky to have Hypergenesis and Skullclamp and uh, Stoneforge Mystic to find your Skullclamp and all these cards in the format. I think with some cards it's fine. Like, one Ponder, sure. Like, one Preordain, fine. That's not going to break anything, but there's some cards that I think would still be better off being banned, even if we did have a Restricted list. Yeah, I, I
1: think even in the Ponder Preordain case, it is not fine. Like, if your opponent was a combo deck and their hand was Ponder preordained, like, you've kind of- it's kind of unfair. It leads to a lot of variance. And in the other broken cases, what it leads is everyone plays, like, 4 Street rates, everyone plays Gitaxian Probe when it was legal to kind of dig to your broken cards, and I don't like that. And the reason why it's like this in Vintage, I think, is because Vintage is supposed to be the format where you can play any card in Magic's history aside from the anti cards. So the only way to keep, you know, the format balanced is to restrict cards. Uh, standard and stuff, to, you know, modern, they don't have these these kind of, uh, you know, catch-alls. If you want to play these cards, then go down, down the chain of formats till you find the format where you can play them. And vintage is kind of the stop at that. So I think it's just too complicated and I don't know what it achieves. Uh, Jordan K. Young. Would a one-mana taps for one colorless artifact be a fair card? What impact would it have on Modern Legacy EDH?
0: Um... It would be very good. I think... I mean, two-mana tap to add a colorless is a playable card. Huh. I've never really thought about that. Would it be too good? Probably for standard, for older formats, I think it would probably not be too good, but I think it would be playable potentially. Definitely in Commander, probably in modern, unsure about older formats than that. Yeah,
1: I think you would play it. I think it's if you think of it, it's even better than like a suspend one lotus pedal. I think a suspend one lotus pedal people would play in modern. Uh, so this is even better because you can chain them together, right? You could, uh, turn one, cast one of these and then off that mana, cast another one and like get off to some crazy start like that. And we've already seen just adding one mana, uh, at least broken things. Like you see, you know, the moxen every time we get one in modern, everyone goes crazy for. This is slightly worse, but I think because the effect is long lasting is really good. Like people play simian spirit guides and things like that. So I don't see why they wouldn't play this. Uh God of Grenades, would Karn be nearly as bad if he costs 3C instead of 4? So 3 generic, 1 colorless. Is this a case of design ignoring the fact that they made the colorless mana symbol for a reason?
0: I actually wrote an article about that at one point, and I think that that is a way to potentially power down some colorless cards. A little bit clunky, uh, especially since flavor-wise having the real colorless mana is associated with Eldrazi and we haven't seen it on any non-Eldrazi uh, non-Eldrazi cards, but it definitely would power down cards like Karn quite a bit. Although I think at this point Teferi is actually the <laughs> the card that is more broken out of the two planeswalkers yeah
1: I, I don't I don't like it's a bit clunky because it is an Eldrazi thing and it basically makes Karn unplayable because you you now need actually colorless lands and that's basically a whole new color except it's a color that has no other support so you don't really want to play that and there's only a few lands that can actually you can actually use to cast it uh, I blackmail lands does Richard have a day job MTG Goldfish yes. right Richard? yes <laughs> Uh, I work on the site full time, so I'm usually behind the scenes doing things. Today, I will be editing the podcast. Such joy! <laughs> <laughs>
0: what is what is the? I've never asked you this. What is the? What is your favorite part of your MTG goldfish job, and what is your least favorite part? Mm. Not counting editing the podcast. My favorite part <laughs> is where
1: I play Magic with the excuse of I need to play Magic because it's my job. oh i need to do this dominaria draft because you know magic is my job (laughs) uh the least favorite i don't know maybe maybe editing the podcast things like that (laughs) it it gets it gets old after a while but you know it must be done um but yeah i don't in general i I like my job uh gregory emin now that we've seen the alpine moon spoiler how long until we see 16 moon seth is it going to be a weak one against the odds poll, or do we <laughs> uh, have something spicy?
0: So so it'll be on the list. I would be surprised if Alpine Moon was the first episode for Corsa 2019, but I am very sure it'll be on the first poll. So usually special episode first, and then Alpine Moon will very likely be on the first poll everyone gets to vote I on. I think
1: you should do a, you know, a complete 180 and make an Alpine Moon deck, but it's a snow deck. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a scred deck surprise. <laughs> Random K. Ho regarding burgers. a&w in Canada is unrelated to AW in the US. They have different management.
0: Oh, I did not know that. I've never even eaten A&W, so
1: I had AW before. I don't remember it being as good as Tomer made it out to be, but it's been a long time. Number two thoughts on Shake Shack versus In N Outs. Have you had Shake Shack, Seth?
0: I have had Shake Shack. I thought it was very good. Better or worse than In-N-Out? I'm going to go with In-N-Out. Oh, really? As the better. I think so. I wanted to
1: try Shake Shack when we were in Vegas, but we didn't get the chance to. But I heard good things about it, and a lot of people swear by it over In-N-Out. But I haven't had Shake Shack, so I don't know. And the the most important question, Seth, what is the best side and drink for a burger?
0: Oh, well, you got to, I would go with French fries. I mean, you got to have fries with a burger. That's just tradition. Uh, as far as drink, hmm, water. I always get water. What? <laughs> water? That, that's, it's, that, it's that has to be the wrong
1: answer. That That can't <laughs> be right.
0: It is the healthiest option. Richard. You
1: you you might as well just drink burger juice or something at that point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wait, wait, wait. Okay. For sides you have some choices. You have like onion rings. You have I don't know Five Guys peanuts. You have <laughs> you know animal style fries, chili cheese fries, or for Tomer, the poutine. <laughs> but I I personally think it's the the basic plain fries. But here's the more question. Yep. Here's the more important question. Thick fries, like English-style chips, or, like, thin fries, like McDonald's. Or, you know, I don't know, like the wavy fries, I'm a, the McCain's yeah, whatever fries.
0: <laughs> I I like the, the curly fries, like the spicy curly fries, I think, are the, the way to go. Right, I like my McDonald's fries.
1: <laughs> I, I like the thin McDonald's fries. Uh, drinks? Milkshake? I think milkshake is the yeah. correct answer, but... If you're trying not to have a heart attack, maybe, <laughs> maybe you get. I guess water is the healthiest. Maybe unsweetened iced tea.
0: Okay, that works. A milkshake is probably healthier than soda too. Is it really so. though? As long as
1: it's, I, I feel like whenever I have a milkshake, like, that's not good for me. But I guess it's better than drinking like a full-on soda, right?
0: <laughs> probably.
1: It's got to be close at least. All right. We'll we'll just go with water next time. Seth, <laughs> getting a water. <laughs> the economical choice. Sebastian Tans, Seth and Richard, do you think a deck running Forbidden Orchard would be successful in Modern?
0: Uh, If you are built around Forbidden Orchard or killing your opponent quickly enough that you don't care about the tokens, then yes. So I think you can build a successful Forbidden Orchard deck. Wait, what does it
1: actually do? It gives your opponent a creature. A 1-1 one, one
0: spirit yeah. that doesn't have flying, but you get mana of any color. So I would not just play it in, like, five-color humans, because you're like, ah, oh, it's a free five-color land. That's a bad plan. But there are very specific decks that can minimize the downside. Or if you're playing a deck that wants to give your opponent's creatures for some reason, to, like, in Vintage, you yeah. turn on Oath of Druids with it. I was so. trying
1: to think, is there, are there any Oath of Druid-type cards in modern. Because as as a five color land, I feel like it's never correct to play it because you do have mana confluence, you have shock and fetches. So I, I don't see why this five color thing would actually, you know, be an issue.
0: It's very fringe stuff. Like, if you remember the dagger burn deck we played in Standard, people have done similar things like that. Or Beck Call draws you a card whenever a creature enters a battlefield, so there's been these weird Beck Call combo decks that you tap to give your opponent the creature, but you're drawing a card to help facilitate your combo. Yep. But those are very, very, like, against the odds fringe decks. But there are some some reasons to do that.
1: All right. Ran in Dark Rider. So I was looking back at some cards for Muldrotha, and I ran across Nature's Wrath. Which seems really good with Orborogouts. Thoughts. What is what is Nature's Wrath?
0: I'm actually uh, looking this one up. Alliances. Nature's Wrath. During your upkeep, pay one or bury Nature's Wrath. Whenever a player puts a Swamp or Black permanent into play, he or she, she sacrifices a Swamp or Black permanent. Whenever a player puts a Islander Blue permanent into play, they sacrifice an Island. Uh. Okay. I seems that's interesting. I guess if you're hating on blue and black decks, it's fine. Well, no, because you have an Orborg
1: out, so every land, but that includes your own lands. (laughs) But I guess you get your
0: own lands back with the help of Muldrotha, you can just replay them.
1: Oh, I see, but this seems very slow, because it's a six mana card, Nature's Wrath.
0: Yeah, and you gotta pay a mana every turn to keep it around. Uh, I think it's a cool idea, probably not very good, though.
1: Yeah, too many pieces and it's very expensive and it's a sure way to get yourself killed <laughs> as soon as you do this everyone's like oh i see what's up so you, you better win the game immediately and this doesn't strike me as win immediately or pillow fort yourself well enough not to die so i feel like you would just instantly die if you do this without actually killing everyone all right next question from random Kho, do you know when the next batch of challenger decks will come out the most powerful decks currently include Chain Roller, to Teferi. What are the chances they show up in the next iteration of Challenger decks?
0: I think there's some chance they show up, but I would not expect Challenger decks until the same time next year that they came out this year. So like kind of heading towards rotation six months before rotation. So possible we get those very powerful cards because we did get Chandra's and some other similar cards, but I think Wizards intentionally does it a few months before rotation as a way to like cash out those cards one more time so don't expect them with a year or more than a year to go in standard
1: all right last question five hearts in a row is there any card you wish had been reprinted in m19 but wasn't also why didn't you use commander clash live as an opportunity to fulfill your promise seth <laughs> oh my god dabbing, we totally, dabbing. We totally forgot so, so for for the viewers we showed Seth how to dab while we were at the Grand Prix. So if someone was just like watching, they could have seen Seth dab. But then we totally forgot about it afterwards. I I totally forgot <laughs> about it, so I never brought it up again.
0: I did too. It was it was a whirlwind of a week at Vegas. So in the future, uh, definitely we'll have to try to try to dab for you. Uh, as far as reprints, I really want Panormonicon because <laughs> it's gonna rotate and I'm gonna be sad. Uh, so yeah. We did. Yeah, panoramonica. We did God. have good
1: reprints. We have, like, Mentor. We have a lot of more elves. Apparently it went from, you know, too good for standard to now we believe it should be in every standard because it's in the <laughs> core set. Uh, Reclamation, uh, Reclamation Sage. Uh, note all these things died at Chain Roller.
0: <laughs> I think the most interesting reprint was actually uh, Magistrate Scepter. That is a card that was not on my radar at all, but I'm actually excited to build a Turbo Turn style deck. We have the BioBox promo, we have Karn's Temporal Sundering, we have Magistered Scepter, so we actually have a ton of extra turn spells uh, for the next few months. Yeah.
1: And for reprints, I don't I don't really know what's missing. I think they did a pretty good job of either reprints or cards that look like existing cards but are slightly worse for new players. So I, <laughs> I, I think I like that, right? Because when they see you know, kind of the core set uncommon version of it, and they stack it up against the rare or mythic version of it, they're like, oh, okay, I see why this card is better and you know what the difference is, but it gives you a budget substitute if you want to play with that card but you can't get it. So I actually really liked how they designed kind of the commons and uncommons in the core set. So I'm actually pretty pleased with what they did with the reprints and uh, the new cards. And uh that is all of our questions for this week. So thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions in the future, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Mail.
0: And I think that brings us to the end of episode 178 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. It's always fun. And thanks to everyone for listening. So we will be back next week with the answer to the Goblin Chain Whirler question with some BNR news and whatever else happens for the rest of the week in Magic. So, again, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.